Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's happening, football fans? Welcome back to the Gagan Pod, where I'm joined by Optus Sports Finest. As we wrap up the biggest stories of the Premier League, we look back at the worst footballing experiences for the lads after that hat-trick of own goals during the week. Christian Volpato, should the Socceroos call him up right away? And what did Adriano spend $25,000 on? We talk the most ridiculous footballer experiences. We answer your fan questions and look forward to a jam-packed week coming up. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to another edition of the Gagan Pod. And we're going to go everywhere, all around the world and different sides of football. But we're going to start in the Premier League. It was a busy weekend. I'm going to kick it off, guys, with Chelsea, who did win 1-0. The world champions returned to the Premier League. It was less than convincing. But, Bridgie, I want to start with a specific player. Romelu Lukaku had seven touches of the football, including the kickoff. As a striker yourself, now, can you blame the lack of service here or have you just got to be looking at yourself in the mirror if you've had seven touches of a football in a match? Ah, There's a, there's a bit of both, Claude, because you've got to do a job for your team and you've got to hold the line and you've got to try and occupy one centre-half or two centre-halves and, and let the midfielders or the wing-backs, as Chelsea do under Thomas Tuchel, get themselves involved in the game and your job is to put the ball in the back of the net. Now, I couldn't physically myself be prepared to stand up there and wait and try and make and wait for things to happen. I've got to make things happen. I used to go drifting to try and pick up the ball. And, you know, I really feel for him because I think the tactics do not suit the the way that the number nine is wanting to be played. Man City don't have a number nine. They play rotation, the drop in. Lukaku holds that line and he holds it very high. And the lack of touches in the game, seven touches by the way, like, you know, it it's it's unheard of. And I don't know how he can go in that dressing room and be happy because yeah, the team have got the result, but if I'm going in know my performance is that dismal and I've got seven touches of the ball and I'm taking a wage packed out of that club, I'd feel embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. you'd think they got battered and, and, and smashed for possession. They actually won the game. They were the winning team and still their striker had seven touches. Schwartzy, you played at Chelsea recently and Tommy Tuchel came out after the game and said uh, that he, he's aware of this striker's curse and that strikers have had a tough time at Chelsea over the years. You played with one that seemed to fit right in and have a great time, but do you think that is a thing at Chelsea? Is that something to do with the, the club culture, that number nine jersey? Do people feel that when they wear it? Um, I don't know. Listen, I think any club, there's an element of pressure, certainly the big clubs, on being that main man, that main focal point up front. Um, but you would think, like, look, Fernando Torres struggled when he went to Chelsea. But I think there was already an element of struggling at Liverpool at the back right at the end before he moved. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Didier Drogba just made it his own. Shevchenko struggled. You know, you, you, there's a list, there's a big long list of them. Um, there's a number of things. I mean, Lukaku is an, is, is an interesting one. Like Bridget just mentioned there, a certain style of football doesn't necessarily suit. But I think with like Shashenko, for example, he came from a completely different league. 
to the Premier League. Many other yeah. players have struggled, doesn't matter how good players they are, to adapt to the Premier League. So, uh, you know, there's, there's an acceptance that that can happen. Torres was a strange one, really weird, like I said. Um, Lukaku, we all know how brilliant he can be. Um, so I'm with Bridgie in that corner for a change. Not very often, but I am this time. <laughs> that It's a bit of both. You know, service, the way that Chelsea play, but also a little bit, obviously, responsibility is about 50-50, really. Boys, I wanted to talk to you about some of these big players, big, big signings. We'll wait to see how Ericsson goes in the Prem. But we've we had a look at Optus Sport, did a bit of digging and looked at, you know, the impact of Jack Grealish at Man City, the impact of Cristiano Ronaldo at Man United and Romelu Lukaku at Chelsea, all these new players that were bought in the summer. And a lot of them were linked with other clubs. Do you think it's possible that clubs are now signing players just because they have to? Chelsea, Chelsea needed to get Lukaku back, couldn't let him go to City or to anywhere else. Grealish had to be picked up by City. Ronaldo had to go to United. He couldn't go anywhere else. Are clubs just signing players so that others can't have them? I don't think they're signing them because other clubs can't have them. I used to look at Juve in that sense, Claude's in, in Serie A, and think they tend to grab the best players that they can in their, their division to stop the other teams getting an advantage on them, same as Bayern Munich do um, over in the Bundesliga. Hmm. So what, what, what I'm... What I see with Cristiano Ronaldo, I think the impact he had at Manchester United was absolutely incredible. I've got to say, if you think of the goals that he got them through the Champions League stages, um, United would have been on a hide and nothing this season. All right, he's had a bit of a dry spell. I think he's done fantastic. Lukaku, but Chelsea signed him, not off the back of other clubs not wanting to get him. They need a number nine, and I believe that they got one of the best number nines in, in world football. Um, it just hasn't worked for him. And Grealish, again, an unbelievable player in the Premier League. He's done it consistently. He's gone to Manchester City. Competition for places is a lot harder. He was a big fish in a small pond at Aston Villa. He's a small fish in a big pond at City now. And he's, he, Is he up for the battle? Is he up for the challenge now? Um, when he knows he's not going to be a regular pick? That is the question. It's all back to the. It comes back to the players. You are there for a reason. The clubs want you for a reason. And are you willing to up your game to get ready for that challenge and that battle? And some will rise and some will just go, you know what it is? This is too hard for me. And they'll go back to being that big fish in a small pond somewhere else. See, I knew it wouldn't take long for me to disagree with Michael Bridges. Only the second question here, I'm going to disagree with him and say that Cristiano Ronaldo is the only player that Manchester United, as in, if you talk about those group of players, they, they, I don't think they were interested in signing him. Mm. They were only interested in signing him once he was going to go to Manchester City, I believe. And therefore, it was a must. They couldn't allow him to go to Man City. They had to step in. I don't think necessarily he was high up on their list to go, right, we want Cristiano Ronaldo. So that that instance, they were forced. Their hand was forced uh, to go and sign him. The rest of them I agree with. But, you know, the only thing, sorry, and I, again, Grealish is an interesting one as well because I don't think Grealish was a player. I know Manchester United were talking about it, but I think the ter- the amount of money that was involved, I don't think United were necessarily willing to pay that sort of money. So Grealish wasn't that high up on the list as opposed to, I think, Manchester City. Pep Guardiola has always spoken, uh, quite has been quite outspoken about Grealish before he was even a a City player to say how much he admired him and how a wonderful player he is. The interesting one about that is, and I think maybe it's a bit of, we're Man City, I'm Pep Guardiola, and I can... I can tame this player. I can turn this player into a world-class player because he's got everything, right? Mm. The big question mark about Jack Grealish has always been from a long, for a long, long time is his off-field antics. So Shenanigans, yeah, totally. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you can so, see he's so, already done it at City Sports, and he's also impacted Foden on one or two occasions. Absolutely. So, well, I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to blame any other player's behaviour just on Jack Grealish, right? Because everyone else is their own man and they're responsible for making, you know, for their own actions, right? So Phil Foden is old enough and experienced enough now at City to know what's right and wrong, right? So Jack Grealish is just one of those players that, from what I'm hearing as well, that, that you know, it's known. Everybody knows that he's a bit of a Jack the lad. He, he, he likes to go out. He likes to have a good time. He sometimes gets himself in a little bit of trouble. So I think Pep probably was a bit of, maybe it was a bit of, look, he's so good. We're, we're willing to take that risk, but I believe I can get him sorted out. I believe I can, can control him. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, I think the off-field antics are, are, are being, have been more damaging to him than, than obviously he hasn't backed up yep. on the football pitch. So you, you're always going to get criticised. It's an interesting one when you, when you think about it because I want to go back to what you said about Cristiano Ronaldo and that Man United have only bought him because he was going to go to City. Looking at the way the table stands, where United are, where City are, flying high on top, was that the wrong decision, Schwartzy? For For Manchester whom? United. Could they have just let him go to City and, and things might have no, been No, I don't think Manchester United ever could have. I really okay. don't. I, listen, I, I think... That's more from a marketing no, no, PR thing, right? No, yeah, but see, I think actually Manchester United could have. Yep. The problem was I don't think there were strong enough people in place to make that that really big decision because they would have been criticised heavily. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I actually think had Cristiano Ronaldo gone to Manchester City, he'd be banging in goals left, right, and centre. Okay. Because he would get the service. He's got the strike. He's got the team around him. He would be scoring far more goals than he has at Manchester. In my opinion, I would be interested what Bridgie thinks. No, he's, I think he's what he's done at Manchester United with the service. You think about everything has had to come. Via him, I don't think they've they haven't been playing the style of football that City do, and the opportunities that they would have created, I think Ronaldo would have would have doubled what he's got at Manchester United without a shadow of a doubt, because he is a critical finisher. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's let's look at City because they didn't sign Ronaldo, they didn't sign a striker. They've signed Julian Alvarez, who'll be joining them at the end of the season, but they're, they're going to stick it out without an out and out nine. Um, but they were heavily linked to Harry Kane as well. That was the biggest one. The 150 million pound man stayed at Tottenham. Scored a double against them on the weekend. Spurs complete the double over City and throw the title race wide open, really. Before we talk about Harry Kane, is the title race now a coin flip between Liverpool and City? It is not a coin. It's still in City's favour massively, but that game, I think it's the 10th of April, the two clubs will meet. And I don't know how, but I've read somewhere that they may meet three times in April. And okay. I don't know whether is that could that be with the Champions Must League? Be Champions they, League, yeah. yeah. So there's a possibility yep. that they could meet three times in April. But that game on the 10th of April, when they meet each other, and Liverpool have still got a game in hand before then, uh, I think that game decides the title. It's going to be brilliant. And the Premier League is alive at both ends of the table as well because the relegation battle is hotting up. But that battle at the top between Klopp and Pep yet again. Um, I told you I still fancy Chelsea clothes over Christmas. And they've totally fallen by the wayside. They've, you know, they've, they've <laughs> gone off and won the World Club Championship. Uh, the World, and they, you know, I just think it sidetracked them. And Liverpool have gone on to. When you think what they've done as well without Marnie and um, Salah, and they've mm. kept themselves in contention, I thought they would have been the ones that dropped off. I'm delighted it is still on. I'm I'm going to disagree again with Bridgie, right? Brilliant. And say that it's not massively in Manchester City's favour. They've got the advantage. They're, if if and Six I think not, I say, if they beat Liverpool yeah, on the 10th of April, it's over. No, but when Liverpool win their game in hand, it's only three. If and Liverpool win their down. game in hand? No, no, no. When, when no Liverpool if. win their game in hand, no they if. will. Because 
Look, they've gone through January, like you just said, without Mane, without Salah, and they were they were great. So, and we all thought there was a major there was a major slip up going to happen to them because of the loss of those two players. They wouldn't be able to cope as well. They've been remarkable, and I I, I think it's it's game on. And I and I think yes, definitely advantage to Manchester City, but not major not major major advantage. Um, who and by the way, Chelsea. Um, who do I want to win? I don't really care, actually. As long as I mean, who do I want to win? Of course, I want Chelsea to win. I don't really care you who wins care. out of the other two. As no, not really. I just want to see it go down to the wire. I want to see a really interesting season. You know, I want it, yeah. I want it, I want it to be on everyone on the end of their seats for the whole remainder of the season. And what you said about Chelsea, they they they, they you know they got distracted with the World Club. No, no, no they, they were gone before that. They they'd already dropped off before that. The, the World Club. Uh, championship actually gave him a bit of a reprieval actually winning that mm. and now that puts him in a in a, in a in a more slightly more confident position going into you know the league cup final they're, they're in a weird spot Chelsea they, they seem like they've got breathing space on fourth but they're so far away from second they're just like a real rock solid third at the moment Chelsea not not a terrible there are worse places to be but just well, I thought you work. wanted to talk a bit more about Chelsea you've got the jersey on you know you're looking a million dollars there yeah, I'm rocking it. You know, it was a, it was a solid win on the weekend, despite not playing very well. But no, we're talking title race here, Bridgie. Something that uh, Spurs are a long way away from, but they. You always had... have to go low blow, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Poor Bridgie. But, but they had their say, right? And Harry Kane scored a double against the club that everyone thought he'd be wearing those colours this season. Could Harry Kane still be a City player next year? After that performance, every chance. Um, it definitely impacted him early on after the move didn't go through. Then you, you saw by one game, one game performance, like one world class performance. The, the rest of the season, up until this point, <laughs> he's been average for Harry Kane. I'm talking, about for Har- I'm talking about for Harry Kane, what we're used for to Harry seeing. For Harry Kane, yes. So what I'm saying is definitely been impacted his performance. But every Premier League season, Absolutely. he has a, he has a slow start, and then once but he, he gets the world class coming, he was world class against City in keep a second. Your, he was world class. Keep your nose out. <laughs> he always starts slow, and then he gets the momentum. This season, he hasn't found that momentum. And I think, obviously, the, the transition in managers hasn't helped his, his style of play and the way they've had to adapt. Um, but that performance Your against favorite. Manchester City, he's got himself up for it, and he's thought, I'm going to prove a point here. And that was Harry Kane at his very, very best. And there's every chance that Manchester City will have gone. That's why we wanted him. That's what we can do. He's off the field antics, will not impact, because he's a true pro. And I think that's why Pep Guardiola and them will have one more go. I don't think it'll be for the money that they talked about originally. Um, but they've got it. They, I think they'll definitely want him. How are they not selling for 150 million? No idea. No idea. I would have driven, I no, driven no, them myself, and I'm a Spurs fan. As good as he is, right? As yeah. unbelievable yeah. a player as he is, I still don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Yeah, neither what, do I. What? Watch this space. Maybe after what's happened this season, then they'd be a lot more willing to do it. But Spurs still are in with a shot. They're seven points off Man United, who are in fourth spot. But they've got three games in hand because of this crazy season and the way it's unravelling. So if they can win those games in hand, they're back in with a shot. It was a huge confidence boost for Antonio Conte. But they are behind Manchester United. That's the team that's currently in fourth. And they they beat Leeds, Bridgie, on the weekend. But I want to talk a little bit about United 
if that was a revival, something that's going to kickstart their season, there was a goal from their captain, Harry Maguire, and there's been a lot said about him in the media. And, and, and I guess the most recent things to come out is that, yes, he wears the captain's armband, but everyone knows Cristiano Ronaldo is the one that's been taking that dressing room. There's these rumours coming out that he leads the team talks. He decides, you know, how the team's going to go out and things like that. Look, I don't know how much you can read into this media speculation, but do you think Harry Maguire is a captain's figure? And have you experienced that before, where you've got a captain who's been undermined by someone else in the squad? Harry Kane, Harry, Harry Maguire, sorry, um, has got a longer contract than Cristiano Ronaldo, let's be honest. So the armband can go to Cristiano Ronaldo, he, he might not even be there next season. So that yeah. that doesn't give me, as a player, looking at me captain, Noni could not be there the following season. That doesn't give us a lot of security. Normally, uh, the when I played as well, I'm not sure about Swartz and whether he agrees with this. You normally found that at either being the longest serving player or somebody that was there that was, you know, a bit more of a hard man. I had a guy called Ian Ashby at Hull, Hull Bourne. He'd been there um, through the lower divisions and seen them up. Kevin Ball at Sunderland was a similar captain. And Radebi was more of a senior experienced player. So I've never worked under like a younger captain in my time as a player. And that's what Maguire is. Now, I'd, we don't see the inner sanctum, we don't see what he's all about. But like you say, if Ronaldo's got that presence and he's got that aura about him, I don't see a problem with other players chipping in to give that a morale boost, you know. Harry Kane was the captain of Spurs. I watched one of his team talks and it didn't inspire me to even let out a fart, <laughs> let alone listen to what he had to say. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So there's, there's things where you, you've... It, I just find it fascinating that some players get the armband and they haven't got that kind of or about them where you look at them and you respect them. Kevin Ball I used to be scared of and I used to look and he, he led by example. Harry Kane does that on his playing ability. I think um, Maguire is under a lot, a lot of pressure. Maybe he doesn't want the armband, but at Man United at this moment in time, I don't know who I could see wearing that armband. I've got to be honest with you because as a player, um, we don't see that dressing room as to who is the main man there. It's a hard one, isn't it? Because I think with... United, like you know, you, we're only talking from afar, right? So, and you talk about your own experiences, and uh, and and like Bridget was saying, there, you you may not necessarily have the biggest name as your captain, but it's someone that either is very vocal, but also puts the shift in on the football pitch. Whether it's not always the best player necessarily, but but it's the attitude, the the approach, and the ability to to drag people with them and all sorts of stuff, right? Um, I think I think with with Maguire, the problem you've got with Maguire is that his performances have been way substandard yeah. for for a lot of periods of time this season. And obviously, you know, people like to finger point, and, and Harry Maguire was one of those players that has been been screwed under under the uh, spotlight quite a lot and been criticised heavily. But what what actually stands out to me was the game. What was the game? They lost at home and they got absolutely thumped. And he said, "I'm only here because I have to be here to give a, 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 a you know an interview post match." And I think as a player and as a as a as a supporter, certainly you'd be going, "Hang on a second, you're, you're there because you're a club, club captain." Yes, yeah, yeah, you're you're the representative. So he was shrugging his responsibilities. Yes, and and that that's where you kind of start to go, "Hang on a second, yeah. you know, is that the right person? Can you go forward with a player like that?" Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo, whether or not he should be captain or not, no doubting what he's accomplished in the game and where he's been and what he's done, but whether or not he's the right personality to lead it. I mean, I know he's, I know he's captain Portugal and so forth. Um, it's an interesting one. It really is a tough one to say whether or not he, someone like that, should just come in and take over. I think we found it that can a lot. have knock-on effects. I think we found that a lot this this season as well. The last few seasons as well, the clubs. 
um, in the Premier League have got a, a lot of games if they're in the Champions League and what so forth. And normally the captain is the first name on the team sheet and they play regular. But because of this rotation system and the, the way the game is now, it's, it's not so easy just to have one mainstay captain that is going to play every single game because physically I don't think the body demands it. So maybe it's a time for change where there's a few different captains or leadership groups, things that they have seen in the AFL since I've been over here or seen in the... They've got different things like that. I don't know, but but Arsenal is a perfect example as well. Nobody, yeah. I mean, even Jack have refused it the other day again. So it's yeah, it's bewildering. It'd be interesting. It's interesting to see like Liverpool because obviously Jordan Henderson um, is the captain, and when he doesn't play, am I correct in saying that if James Milner's playing, he's then captain? Is that is that fair yes. to say? Yeah. So, so they've it, got so a it lovely rotation like, system. They understand yeah. what they are about. That's right. So it's like the most experienced, the most senior, whatever yeah. it is, that, that then takes over after, I think, after Jordan Henderson, right? And then I think uh, Van Dyke's been captain as well yeah. in between. So they've got so, the house in order? Yes, but that, that's clear, isn't it? I think yeah. that's very, very clear with Liverpool, yeah. how, how well organised they are, how everybody understands their role and their position within the group. Uh, I think that's very, very obvious, and that starts from the top, whereas yeah. United, on the other hand, we've seen it. Under exactly. Oli, we've seen it now under Ranić. There isn't a real clear on the football pitch the way they play. There's no real clear direction, and that I think continues throughout. And that we see with the captaincy, we see all these. This is why we're hearing all these things coming out of the club all the time, constantly. Yeah. Schwartzy, who was the best captain that you ever played with? Because um, you've had a few clubs. Not as many as you, Mister Bridges. Sorry, he's um, asked you the question. <laughs> And I'm just responding to your, to your, your, you know, your wildly off the mark uh, statement, um, especially from you, big nose. Um, I, I listen, Gareth Southgate, I thought was a very, very good captain, um, really good guy, very calm, very, very, very experienced, very good player, and I think, I think he 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 managed the group really, really well. I thought Danny Murphy was really good at uh, at Fulham. And the good thing about it, Fulham is like Danny Murphy was a captain, but there was a kind of a leadership group within the within the group. So everybody took, especially the, the the senior players, everyone took a little bit of responsibility to make sure people stayed in check. But also, ultimately, you know, we, everyone understood and accepted that Danny Murphy was the captain, and, and and rightfully so. So I thought the mix was really good, and it worked really really well. Um, and there was a lot of respect there. Um, and obviously John Terry, I thought, you know, John Terry was the, the limited time I played with him, but just everything about him. And even though, you know, my first, my first thoughts when I first went there, you read all the stories, you hear all the public, you know, all, all the, all the things that go on and you just think, wow, you know, what's this going to be like? And I have to say from the minute I walked in the door, he was absolutely brilliant. And he mm -hmm. showed, he, learned, he led by example, training, preparation, playing whenever he did, even though it was at the latter stages when he was at Chelsea, when I was there. Yeah, what a man. You just didn't introduce him to your missus, eh? No, no dinners. No dinners together. Um, well, certainly not alone, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and especially you, when you've it? got the same surname as um, Wayne Bridge, it doesn't, doesn't quite mix. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few people I've met over the years and gone, oh, was it your missus with John Terry? No, it wasn't. No, that was Wayne Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Bridgie, who is the worst captain you ever had and why? Worst captain? I don't think I did have a worst captain. No, he doesn't want to stitch anyone, does he? No, nah, you can't stitch anybody <laughs> up. Um, nah. Worst captain? Now nah, that the 
not not in my playing career. I had a really, really good okay. group. Uh, Kevin Ball at Sunderland, like I say, Lucas Radebe, the South African yeah. at Leeds United, a true leader character. Lee Clark took over at um, Sunderland for a period as well. Um, Continue was a Newcastle player that came into Sunderland. That was a huge thing. And Carlisle United. Oh, and A-League stint as well. Pro, A-League. Um, the only thing we did have in the A-League, actually, that was quite interesting. Matt Thompson was the captain at the Newcastle Jets. Um, and Matt Thompson didn't doesn't like anything to do with football. He, he, he you know he's he he didn't know who was playing what day, but he was just a great leader and kept everybody together with functions and days out and things like that. But there was a guy called Luba Milosevic stopped speaking to Tomo when he got the armband, and I found it very strange. And he felt that he should have got it. Um, Tomo left and went to Melbourne Heart, and Branko gave me the captain's armband, and then Lubo stopped speaking to me. So it was oh, wow. it was like the curse that whoever got the armband, he wouldn't speak to anybody. He was so, a friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd, he'd be, you know, he'd been mates with everybody, and then as soon as you got the armband, it was a curse. So that that's the only time I've ever come across any kind of shenanigans at the clubs that I've been with, where it relates to captains. How's your relationship with Lubo these days? I don't speak to him. Yeah. No. 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 It's down oh, at Bondi. Yeah. You see him down at Bondi Beach. Um, Go for coffee. Living it up, yeah. Uh, yeah, you had Ruben Zadkovic there, captain, as well, at one point? Yes, we did, yeah. 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 Ruben, yeah, Ruben, actually, Rubes is an interesting one as well, man. Because <laughs> what, you, what you'd get from Rubes, uh, the, cap, the, the manager would give us the tactics and the shape and everything and say, right, when we haven't got the ball, we're going to sit in. And... Um, and then all of a sudden, we just saw our captain running around chasing every... I mean, he was full of energy. You know, he was... I don't know if you know what a Duracell bunny is, but if you, you know, you put the Duracell bunny out there, it'll just run all day long. And Ruben would just go chasing and pressing everything. And we're like, hang on, the gaffer's just told us to sit in and keep our shape. And he would just run around like a madman, you know, and we totally lost our shape. We got picked off in midfield, but it looked good for Ruben because the fans are going, he's working his arse off. And we're going, hang on a minute. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and then there was, there was a moment when, uh, as a captain, that we went to a, a an army base. And we went there to the Liverpool barracks for pre-season. And it was unbelievable. And me and who, who was your manager? Um, at the time was Gary Van Egmond took us to the army barracks oh. in Liverpool and basically signed us away for three days. It's a bit like the SAS program that I've been watching on the, on the, you know, the survivor. And yeah, it was a, I'll tell you what, it was a tough few days. Me, I was, I was with Heskey and Caravella and Caravella made, it just made me laugh the whole time. Cause he was so scared. He was trying to ring his missus. He, the, the confiscate our phones. He was like thinking she'll, she'll think I'm dead or we've had a crash. I need to contact her, and the corporals were saying, you're here for three days, get over it, we're going to absolutely flog you. And we did, we got flogged, and it was a test of mental and, you know, the attitude that we had to show and get through it. And it was really sad to see, because the man that I thought would have got through it, as in Ruben Zakovich, he was the first one to throw the towel in after one and a half days, um, and no. he was he was taken off site. And that, that was the biggest surprise for me, because as a captain, as a leader, and seeing his work ethic on the field, um, the way he did that, we kind of all lost a lot of respect for our our captain, um, and it was it was interesting to see how it was going to be handled come the start of the season after um, after what went on in them camps. And I don't think the manager at the time, Gary Van Egmond, had the had the courage or the bravery to take the captain's armband off him and give it to somebody else, um, which was you know because a lot of the lads we'd all lost a lot of respect for Ruben in that in that sense because he, he he didn't carry us as a team in front of the the army barracks men and you you if you if you fail at that it shows a lot about your character that's why we love the a league army barracks pre-seasons it's brilliant 
That's great. Not sure. Any of those methods over there in England being used, Schwartzy? You don't you don't see those ones in the Premier League? No. There was a couple. I know in Middlesbrough, like uh, the the reserve teams in that, like the under, under I think were under were they under twenties at the time or under twenty threes at the time. Can't remember. They they used to go every season. They used to go to um, to the army barracks as well and wow. do two. I don't know what it was, three or four days in the army barracks, and they used to come back telling stories about it. Just going, that was unbelievably <laughs> difficult and. You know, getting up and they were, you know, ran, ran you into the ground. And some players, like like Bridgie was saying, there were were kind of like fighting against it and mm. refusing to do stuff. And and the sergeants just came down on them like a ton of brick and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was. But in terms of, um, I, I had it in Germany when I first went to Germany. It was a long time ago, but it was like first two weeks you just ran. Yeah. I remember when I first signed for Dynamo Dresden, turn up in the in the in the forest. I went right, go and don't need your boots, just get your, get your trainers on, get your kit on, obviously, get your trainers on and go over to the forest there. So we get there and the manager turned up and at the time he was, the manager was in his 60s um, and uh, he, he was like fit as. He was like ridiculously fit. And well, like six we packs would, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like. absolutely, absolutely. And he <laughs> would, in massive calves, and he, he went, right, we're getting in three groups, put us into three groups, and we had to run to a, to a timer. And he would, like, I mean, I got lapped by him. It was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was, like, 21 years old, came but from you, Australia, you played, you know, semi-professional. Why exactly. do you need to do the cross-country oh, running? Oh, mate, you just cover your it was, box. It was, mate, it was, like, t- proper, proper old school. So in the morning, you'd run for 45 minutes to an hour in the forest, and then... Go out, go and have lunch, and then in the afternoon train for two hours on the football pitch. Mate, I was absolutely shattered. Mm. We did two weeks of that. Jeez. Well, the rule in in fitness training, the rule is you just got to beat the keepers. As long as you beat the keepers, you yeah. pick, pick the group with the keepers <laughs> in it, and you should be all right. Oh yeah. So right. you guys don't move, but that's all right. Uh, they shouldn't. They don't need to do it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, it's just it's it's lazy. It it's lazy coaching. It is. It's just <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, let's just it, run it, and true. them. It, that is very true. The problem was we had a goalkeeping coach who wasn't a, was never ever a goalkeeper. It was an outfield player that became. <laughs> I mate, it's bizarre. Never seen anything like it in my life. Turned up and I said to him, "So, uh, you know, where'd you play?" And he went, "Oh, yeah, I played at Sunset, so and so." And so. And I go, all right. Oh, so, you know, you play in goal. And they go, no, 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 I was an outfield player. Like, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> what is Brilliant. going on here? And, and you know who the goalkeeper, the number one goalkeeper was? Was uh, Stanislav Chichesov, who was the current Russian national team manager. Oh, wow. So yeah. he was the goalkeeper, number one goalkeeper at the time. And he loved him. Because he just basically did what he wanted him to do. So he basically just copied whatever he did from, from uh, the Russian national team. And, uh, and, and, and that's all what he was used to training. And that's what the goalkeeping coach did with us. It was ridiculous, mate. Wow. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
Just bad days at the office. I'm, I'm interested to hear some of your stories here because Michaela Moore, Liverpool player and New Zealand women's international player against USA over the weekend had one of the worst football experiences. And I think we remember the Woodgate debut at Real Madrid. That one's up there as well. I think it was, you know, penalty, own goal, red card. Red, red that, card and then injured. That's, yeah, that's definitely up there. This one was, was quite the first 40 minutes as well. Fifth minute, own goal, tough start. Right, that's okay. Regather yourself, get the ball, play some easy passes. Sixth minute, own goal. That's 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 tough to get over. Had a half decent next half an hour, and then 36 minute was the hat trick of own goals. Perfect hat trick as well. Left foot, right foot header, and then subbed off four minutes later in the 40th minute. Yeah. Terrible, but you know, still a great player. Look, you're playing football for Liverpool. You're playing for your country. That's more than I've done. That's more than most have ever done. But we can have a bit of a laugh about it, boys. What is your worst days at the office, Bridgie? Can I just say on that, I've got a credit. I've, I've seen the goals. Two of them could have been avoided. The body positioning um, was, was all wrong. She, she knew that. The, the headed one was kind of, I thought, you know, there's nothing she could have done. It was, it was a glancing header. I've got to credit the management here, though, Claude. I've got to say because that girl, mentally, she would have been in so much hurt uh, after 35 minutes, three own goals. They didn't sub her for a performance. They subbed her to get her off because of the mental instability that would have, would have come from this. She would have been absolutely mentally wrecked. So I've got to credit them for doing that um, and not leaving her out there because it, it, it would have been horrendous. But the same side well, of it, sorry, you do just have to have a laugh. Just, a, just to interrupt, though, wasn't, wasn't it like over 400 minutes they hadn't considered a goal in New Zealand? There was some. There was some period of time they hadn't conceded yeah. a goal, or 180. No, it must mean not. No, 400 minutes, I think it was. They hadn't conceded a goal, and they obviously got thumped. Well, yeah, was it? But you're, pl- you're playing one of the best teams in the world as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? One of the so, best team. Yeah, and yeah. she's gone and got a hat trick. So you've got you've got to have a laugh at that side of it because it is a known goal. It's a hat trick of own goals, and it's the perfect hat trick. But mentally, you know, I've, you've got to be very careful what 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 goes on because the, that is such a fragile state of affairs in, in any form of football. And have I come anywhere close to that? No, I haven't. Um, but I, I have got a terrible record at Newcastle United. Bobby Robson signed me as a striker. And sadly, after so many appearances, I can't remember how many, I've got no goals. But I have got an asterisk next to my name because I did get an own goal for Newcastle United. And it was absolutely mortifying. I was in the Gallic at the end, on the near post, for corners. The corner went back stick. It was headed down. Came off my knee, I tried to clear it with my knee, hit the crossbar in behind the goal, and I had 55,000 Jordies telling me how crap I was. <laughs> Good finish. It was a top, how top does, finish. It's, you know, you, you look at what Michaela's going to have to go through now, and after a game like that, you score an own goal, you haven't been scoring, and, you know, we can laugh about it now, years later, but at the time, how do you get yourself out of that type of mental state if you've had a terrible game? You know, or, or is it important the teammates that you have around you when you walk into that change room? You want them to just lift you up and be like, "Don't worry about it. it happens to everyone." But you the, could get the opposite reaction, right? Do you know what? Do you know what it was? It was I had a couple of shockers during the game. One was against Aston Villa as well, where you, everything you try doesn't come off, and you, you know, I got subbed off. I saw my number go up when I, I missed from three yards out in the 67th minute. That's how much I still remember it. And yeah, it's horrible to get over, but the games come thick and fast. You've got to brush it off. And the best thing about the Newcastle one, I was obviously feeling the young goal. I was feeling down and all the rest. But the lads didn't give us any stick after the game that night. But they've, in train the following the following few days, that's the football banter. As long as you're thick skin, you can get on with it. Yeah. They, it, they broke the ice, and they were kind yeah. of saying, "Have you seen your goal scoring record for the town? It's it's no goals for, and you've got one. You've got one against us." 
and it, you know, it was there was a lot of lighthearted fun, and I, I can handle that side of it, and it, that 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 kind of got me through that. Um, in the other side of it, if you are having a bad game, there's nothing better than a game coming quick and fast. The sad thing about international football, they don't come quick and fast. So she's yeah. got to get that next international game out of her. The coaches have got to put her back out there, and they've got to say, "Go and redeem yourself." Yeah. Well, Schwartzy, any 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 tough days at the office that come to mind from your career? I know you had plenty of big days. We know it. We see it on the highlights reel, left, right, and centre. Optus Sport make sure they remind everyone of the big saves of Mark Schwartzer. But any any bad days that stick out, you still remember now? Um, I'm just 1999 played Arsenal at home and that was the time it was like you know the, the Arsenal Invincibles and all sorts of stuff they're like unbelievable anyway we played them at the Riverside uh, 1999 and um, let's just say it wasn't a really good day what was the um, score? we lost 6-1 Kanu scored a f- scored the, the flick you know the back hill uh, the ball yeah. came across gets shown on gets gets shown every year on the on the, on, on the Premier League highlights highlights reel um, were you to blame or we, was it the defence or were they just so good or were you at fault for any they they no, I I'm just I've got actually the video up now I don't think uh, listen I'm sure Middlesbrough fans would be blaming me for most of them yeah that's what but, I was reading um, on Twitter so that's why I asked yeah yeah it wouldn't surprise me mate um I don't think so. No, not from remember. There wasn't anything necessarily that you look at. I, I, well, I think back at it and go, yeah, yeah, I had a shocker there. Um, I'm just watching the flick. No, it's another, uh, no, it's another goal he scored. Kind of bloody hell. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it was it was 6-0. Um, and obviously, you can imagine the Riverside. It was packed to start with, and then we were down 6-0, and then pretty much the whole of Riverside emptied out. I think there was there were obviously only Arsenal fans and a couple of, couple of thousand Middlesbrough fans still left. And oh, I was a joke, to be fair. I was just watching the goals. They played through us, around us. Vieira, Nelka, Kanu. It was a joke. Over Mars. One touch football. We, we were just like destroyed. <laughs> and we were down 6-0. And then we, we, we scored. And all the Arsenal fans cheered. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, because there was hardly anyone left in the stadium. Otherwise, it just would have gone pretty much silent. Yeah. But they, they, they actually cheered. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shocker. And I suppose the, the, my last ever game for the Socceroos was, was a shocker. We lost 6-0 to Brazil. I mean, it was Brazil, and they only lost a couple of games. Um, they were unbelievable. Preparation was, was rubbish. Everything about it, but no excuses. We got absolutely humped by them. Yeah, so, yeah, that as well. Those two. Are you okay, mate? Yeah. Yeah, I just in a moment, mate. Just yeah. I don't moment. know why you had to watch the highlights. Put yourself through I'm that. Still, I'm still, I'm still watching it, mate. Whoa. There's so many bloody goals. Like, I'm, honestly, I've just seen the Kanu flick, and I'm just going. Claude, oh, we'll we'll life. carry on. We'll come back to him yeah. once he's finished. Once honestly, it, and we'll try and cheer him up. Why you do that to yourself? Know, even Anelka scored against me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like 12 in this. I think he's about 12 years old in this game. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, plenty yeah. of highlights for both of you, though, and Optusport always makes sure to remind everyone of them. We always see those. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to move on now to an Aussie that hopefully he's got a, a bright future ahead of him. Christian Volpato came on a, on the weekend for Jose Mourinho, who was 2 0 down in the Serie A against Verona, looks to his bench, brings on the young Aussie. Three minutes later, he scores. He's the youngest player in the Serie A to score this season. Now, of course, after scoring a goal like that, we saw it after his debut. Aussie media starts to go to town and we need to cap him we need to get him to play for Australia before Italy take him Schwartzy as a former Socceroo yourself do you think that that's a bit of desperation now coming out from Australian media and Australia fans like he's just coming in off the bench he's just starting to make his mark are we in the position where we have to cap players like that or just leave it and let it be 
um, look, the, the interesting thing about it I always find is that it's not like he's only just played his first game, right, and scored. Mm. I'd like to think and hope, and I'm, I'm listen, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my neck on the line saying they've definitely been in contact with him. And they've definitely spoken to him about future and everything else and where his head is and what he wants to do and wh- what does he feel and ultimately yes th- there is a little bit of discussion sometimes when someone has dual nationality to talk to him and go listen we see we would love you to play for australia if if that were to be the case and i bloody hope they would be thinking that mm. and be saying all the reasons why they would want him to play for australia not that he should need to be convinced but what i'm saying is you should be making him feel a bit like lukaku Make them feel like they're wanted and they're respected and everything else. And ultimately, then the kid has to make the decision himself on who he wants to play for. Mm. You know, if he wants to hold out and play for, for Italy, then then so be it. And I don't think very much is going to change his mind. But you hope we get to, you know, these guys, hopefully they have enough ambition and desire that they want to desperately play for the Socceroos, hopefully. Bridgie, you, you, you've coached a lot in the MPO and you've coached these players, as well as playing in the A-League, you've coached these players that might have fallen out of the system before or might have been dumped by a Jets, a, a Mariners, Sydney FC and the rest. That was the case for Christian Volpato, right? That, that's what made so much noise was the fact that he was dumped from the Sydney clubs, deemed not good enough to stay in the system, went to Italy and he seems to be good enough for Jose Mourinho. Can that affect a player's want, even though it shouldn't really have anything to do with Graham Arnold, it shouldn't have anything to do with the national team, but can that affect a player when they've been maybe rejected by one system, welcomed into the Italian system, could that play on their mind when they decide who they play for? Without a shadow of a doubt. And what, what I respect is that, you know, you haven't let um, some negativity get in the way or some setbacks get in the way. And he's, he's taken up on himself to try other opportunities and get the, the determination, the mindset to go again. Um, you know, it, it took me three attempts. I got rejected at Sunderland, rejected at Middlesbrough. And made it at uh, sorry rejected at Newcastle rejected at Middlesbrough and then made it at Sunderland, (laughs) but you know it it was bloody tough to get over them them years of thinking that you weren't going to make it as as a YTS or get the opportunity, and Mm. just to to knuckle down work harder and and go again and be in the right place at the right time. Um, I just don't think there is enough systems over here. There's not enough elite clubs over here. You don't have the filter system like you've got in Europe. If you don't make it at a top elite academy, there's other clubs in the country that are professionally paid that will do it for you. And the MPL over here is a, is a, is a great way to clear your mindset and get playing football again. But are you really going to bounce back and try and get another opportunity in the A-League if you've been rejected at one place? No, it's going to be very, very tough. So the opportunity to leave and go overseas is huge because there's so many opportunities. He's done that and I'm delighted for him. But I do think that'll have a, a massive impact in him deciding where he wants to go um, and, sign for, like, and, and get capped at national level because he will have a bit of taste in his mouth. I, I, I feel sorry for him that he got rejected by the A-League and ends up at Serie A. Seriously? Like, how low do you have to go? That you have to go to the Serie A and play but not all of the kids, A-League. not all I, kids get that opportunity, Swarty. And he's been no, very, no, 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 very lucky all I'm and he's saying had to work is, damn hard. I feel for him. I feel for him that he's been rejected by the A-League and he's yeah. had to traps all the way over the other part of the world and yeah. go to Serie A. I mean, seriously. <laughs> like, I feel for him. That must have been really tough. No, all jokes aside, um, absolutely brilliant. Like you said, Bridget, like you said, it's absolutely brilliant. The kid rejected, but rolled his sleeves up and went, nah, you know what? I'm going to prove you all wrong. And proved everybody wrong. That's what I love. I love the fact that he's had the gall to do that. And that's what we want. 
That's what we need. We need that for Socceroos players. We need players to have yeah. that hunger, that determination, yeah. that desire to prove people wrong and go, you know what? If I'm not good enough for this league, I'll go somewhere else and show people that I am good enough to play. I hope we. So- I hope he plays for Australia. And surely he doesn't have to prove anything anymore. Surely he's proven already that he's good enough certainly to be seriously in contention of being involved in and around the, the, the national team setup. I mean, okay. it's, it's Roma. It's in Serie A, for, for, for God's sake. And if you've impressed okay. Mourinho, you've done wonders there anyway. Because I, I think he, he, got... he likes an Aussie. Let's be honest, he likes an Aussie. <laughs> he got sent off after that bloody incident as well, didn't he? <laughs> he did. He knows yes. his football, Jose Mourinho. Not only did he boot the ball in the crowd, get a red card, but he made a few gestures to the referee, a few yeah. phone call gestures, because the referee's father was part of the, the match-fixing scandal 15 years ago. And Jose Mourinho oh, knows that. No. Nobody's he's, safe. He's, he's, on t- he's on top of everything, eh? Yeah, nobody's safe around him. Yeah. So I guess the, the the last one I want to wrap that up with, though, Volpato, after scoring, and I'm, I'm trying to find out exactly how many minutes he's played in the Serie A this season, but it isn't too many. But you think he would be ready to feature for the Socceroos right now, Schwartz? Because that is that is the standard of the Serie A. We don't have enough Socceroos playing at the top five European leagues. So if one is even good enough to get on the park in those leagues, he should be in the squad. You've, he's got to be Absolutely. integrated in the squad. Hundred percent of a doubt. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Doesn't mean he's got to start. Top, if you're no, exactly. If you're playing on the top leagues in the world, you're in and around that top leagues of the world. You've mm. got to be. We're not we're not the Socceroos from you know ten years ago, fifteen years ago, whatever it is that we've got top class players playing in every top league around the world. We yeah. don't. Yeah. So absolutely. Okay. There you go. You've heard it here first. Let's let's watch this space very closely. I will say I saw a video pop up on social. I don't know exactly where I saw it, but it was um, you know, his his his, his agent, his coach from Australia, going to to visit him, and I saw him uh, dressed in an Italian tracksuit, and I'm pretty sure he had his initials. On the track sh- on the tracksuit. Now that's usually when you've played for a youth squad or you're training with a youth squad yeah. or something. Yeah, the, so you know, I think uh, if Australia need to move, they got to move fast. Let's see what happens. We're gonna have a bit of fun now, gents. We're gonna talk about. Hopefully, he sticks clear of all this rubbish that we're about to talk about. Hopefully, he keeps his eyes on the prize and focuses on football. But not every player has done that in Serie A history. We're gonna talk about Adriano. What a player he was. Cannon of a left foot. He was a cheat on the video games as well. He was, he was, everyone loved him. Everyone loved using Adriano at Inter, right? Now, he's kind of fell off over the last few years and of his career, and he spoke about his challenges with mental health, having so much money, so young, being away from his family, went back to live in Brazil. In 2015, this was, he spoke in an interview on the, over the weekend. In 2015, he almost had a move back to French football, and it fell through. The transfer fell through. And so to kind of get him through his sorrows, he spent the equivalent of 25,000 Australian dollars on 18 sex workers. And he hired, a, he hired a room in a hotel and he, he partied away for the weekend with these women just to get over the failed transfer. And he ended up getting a transfer to Miami where he finished his career, which seems like a troublesome city for a man like Adriano to end up finishing his career at but it just got me thinking gents you know we've got some people on this uh on this podcast who clean as a whistle right but what are some of the most ridiculous stories you've heard that's the most footballer story i've ever heard what are what are some of the most ridiculous ones either the craziest purchase you've made as a footballer when you were younger or one of your teammates i'll I'll set it off with the craziest purchase that i've ever made because i love i love my cars and okay. I've, you know, I've wasted a lot of money on cars over the years because as soon as you take them out <laughs> the showroom, they lose the, they lose the attraction. And yeah, me, at Leeds, we had um, made sure every one of the boys got a different car. 
and nobody got the same car. So we could literally swap keys and drive around in different cars because we had this insurance policy that allowed that to do so. You know, it was that we were known as the, the car club there. That was a good little cultural thing. But <laughs> I went over to Ireland one weekend, over to Dublin, um, with Robbie Keane, his best mate and my best mate. And we went out Saturday all day in Ireland. Went out all night in a place called Lily Bardello's on Saturday uh, night into Sunday morning. <laughs> and it, unbelievable, unbelievable weekend. Like The Irish know how to party. And we've had a Sunday session just to try and get over the thing. We had a, a Sunday flight home. And we had to train on the Monday morning, so we've had a it was a, a good international break. We got the weekend off. Keno wasn't playing for Republic of Ireland. So fast forward to Wednesday, and I'm at the training ground in my just just in the dressing room, and my phone goes, and it was my wife, and she was like, um, "It was I think it was about nine o'clock in the morning." She went, "Have you ordered a fridge? Have you bought a fridge?" And I said, "A fridge? I haven't bought a fridge." She said, "Well, there's a delivery van outside." with an unbelievable retro coca-cola fridge and it's got your credit card details on it so i know it's yours and i was like hang on a minute she said i said where was it bought she's gone dublin and i went right hang on so i turned to Keno and i said robbie did i buy a fridge at the weekend he said i don't think so and as soon as i mentioned coca-cola he went there was there was a coca-cola fridge in the shop window and you went and bought it I've got no recollection of buying that bloody fridge, but it came. And when I saw it in my house, I was like, that looks amazing. So when we came to fly over to Australia and move all of our furniture over, I'm probably going to get done but now by the Australian government. You're not allowed to bring um, certain things into the country. And one of them was the fridges because of the gas or something. We had to get it changed. And I remember saying to the guys, this fridge is not, this fridge is coming because of the story I told the delivery men they're like that's amazing you were so drunk you can't even remember buying a fridge man this is brilliant <laughs> they packed that at the first thing they put on the freight so that if the you know customs were going through and having a look at all the other furniture everything's sweet I've got the Coca-Cola fridge here in Australia with this man it's got such a good story behind it biggest waste of money I've ever whatever <laughs> I spent I can't remember but yeah I can't even remember doing it and that that's how um, that, that's how Dublin catches you Wow. News break. Uh, Bridgie's just been arrested and going uh, to have to pay back a whole lot of fines because he's imported a legal fridge and the fridge has been confiscated. So next week, Bridgie unfortunately it's, won't be with us. It's got new gas in. It's got new gas in now. Oh, send him home. Well, I'm sure I'm sure your wife prefers your purchase, a fridge, rather than uh, what a good old Adriano got up to, yeah, Shorty. Any exactly. any ridiculous footballer. But I know you're a very responsible man. You wear your glasses here on the podcast, and you're a philosopher. <laughs> you're a philosopher of football now. But I've seen long hair, young Shorty. Did he get up to any mischief? Uh, not really. I didn't. Keepers yeah, are boring. Yeah, yeah, keepers old... are a bit boring, aren't they? Oh, Roddy, you don't want to hear my story then. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, come on. Prove us wrong, Shorty. No, it doesn't actually relate to me. Uh, but other than when I was at Middlesbrough, um, obviously you played with some characters at Middlesbrough, Paul Merson, um, Annie Townsend, Ray Parler, um, and then, of course, Paul Gascoigne. And remember one time at training, well, actually a number of days at training, Gazza would turn up at the training ground. And more often, for whatever reason, it just so it coincided a lot of times when I was arriving at the training ground. And Gazza would get out of his car and he'd be just wearing a hotel bath bathrobe and the bath and the slippers from the hotel carrying his what we call the doctor do little bag you know the one that just kind of opens up and it's everything is in it. he had his checkbooks he had cash he had medication he had everything in this bag and he'd come in and then he'd, he'd be like i said guys where are you going and he goes oh 
because I've just had a, I just had a call from the bank, and I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Yeah, we've well, got no money left." I said, "What are you talking about?" Because we just had payday, right? And he goes, "Well," he said, um, "I love my Harley Davidsons," and he goes, "So we went to the Harley Davidson shop. Uh, I think it was in Newcastle or somewhere like that." Yeah. And he goes, "You know," so I I decided I wanted to buy a Harley Davidson. He goes, "I was there with my mates and Jimmy Firebellies and that," and he goes, "I couldn't just buy one, so I bought five." <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, I want to be Gaza. mates with Gaza. What are you yeah. doing? Like, it goes, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Do you know how, did you hear the one that Jimmy, uh, Gaza did, the Jimmy Five Bellies as well? So when oh, Gaza, went, Gaza went to Lazio and he he was on his way to Lazio and Jimmy Five Bellies went everywhere with him. He, he had to be with him just to keep him on, on the straight and narrow, but I think he led him astray. But Gaza, as a prank, this is when you talk about losing all your money. Gaza, as a prank, decided that he would get Jimmy Five Bellies a flight to come and be with him over in um, in Italy. So Jimmy Five Bellies sits on the plane at Newcastle, and they're about eight hours into the flight. Bearing in mind, Italy's what an hour and a half from England. And Jimmy turned to the stewardess and says, "Excuse me, love," he said, um, "How long before we land in Italy?" And she said, "Italy." She said, "What are you on about?" She said, "You're on your way to Dubai." And so he was like, Dubai? Have I gotten the wrong plane? So she had a look at his ticket. And what Gaza had done, he bought him a round-the-world trip <laughs> in seven <laughs> different destinations before he got to Italy. So he had to do the whole world around, back past England to get to Italy. <laughs> how, how do you not even know that, honestly? Because how did Jimmy, you find his gate? Jimmy had never honestly. flown and he'd never know, left England and he'd never left Newcastle. And Gaza thought it would be a good prank. About 25,000, 30,000 quids worth... Just to get a prank on his mate to send him around the world. Do you know, do you know the story about Jimmy Jimmy Firebellers when he when he got he got into trouble in there? Because Gaza was mad about his these high powered air rifles, right? And and shooting rabbits and birds and all sorts of stuff, right? He was mad, mad for it. So him and Jimmy went out one night, and Jimmy was in the back of the car and in a massive big spotlight. And then they drive in the countryside up in up in a rural like sort of northeast area. And they would uh, they would spot animals and they they'd shoot them right, and um, anyway someone someone came across them doing it and obviously must have said something to him had a go at them and Jimmy Jimmy flipped out a bit and chased him down the street with a, with the air rifle, and obviously they're well known right so they go to the police report it Jimmy gets arrested he's in trouble he actually does he, I think he actually did some prison time right for it so he come he gets out he gets released and he's wearing a tag. So he's under house, like he's under curfew. So he has to be home at certain time of the night. Like I think was it? Is it? I don't know if you know what it is. It's six six p.m. till six a.m. or something like. That. I don't know something like that. And um, Gaza used to go right. Let, we're going to go tell him. Just tell him stories. Go like, oh, we're going to go tell him a lie. Go, oh, we're going to go down to uh, just down to Middlesbrough, whatever it is, because he's living in Sunderland. So he'd get in the car and they drive. He'd drive in the motorway and he'd just keep driving. <laughs> And he would try and go as far as he could until he ran out of petrol to try and keep Jimmy from not being able to get back in time before his curfew was done. They used to do stuff like that all the time. And he used to come back, they used to tell the story, like Jimmy would come and train and like, like just telling the story about how, what he had to do to get back and try and get back on time because they ran out of petrol and they, or they just dropped him off, went to the toilet and he just, guys just took off and left him. At a services midway down the motorway. Jimmy sounds like the most gullible fella I've ever uh, heard. Yeah, it's just. I, I think he played up to it as well. Obviously, yeah. I think it was just one of those things. I mean, there's, a, there's another better story than that. Is that there's the there's the they, they had a bit of a session, and obviously they were 
the more the drunker they became, the the, the the more stupid the games became, and they would get a lighter, and the metal bit on the lighter. So they turn the lighter on and just hold it there, and the metal bit around the lighter thing would get really really get hot. hot. <laughs> so yeah, so they basically gathered bet Jimmy to hold it on his nose for a couple of seconds, and how long he could hold it on there, and he'd give him money for it, and he did it, and he. He did it, and he just like it burnt him obviously, and he let go, and he went no no no. He goes, well, pay me money. He goes, no no no, you didn't do it long enough. You got to hold on there for like ten seconds or something like that. And he did. Came out of training like two days later or something. He had this massive crater on his nose, oh, and the doc just went, what is going on there? He says, what have you done? And he told him the story. He says, Jimmy, you're absolutely mad. You, you may even need plastic surgery, you, you know, medication, antibiotics, I've, all this. I've sorts got of enough stuff. money off Gaza from last night to get the plastic oh, mate, surgery. Mate, he, he did it. It started to get better, and then like three weeks later, same thing, they did it again. <laughs> Great player, though. Great player, though, Gezza. Right. Jimmy? No, he was, re- he was useless. <laughs> no, no, no. Gezza, Gezza. I've heard the yeah, stories. He For all that, you know, I've heard the stories, but uh, that's brilliant. That's, that's what we love. We love those, that story time, and, and even if you were straighty 180, Schwartzy, you've, you've got plenty of stories. I, I, I've got another one, but I'll, I'll save it for another show, which, yeah. is, which is a good one as well. Okay, save it. We should just have a story time. I just want a story time episode eventually on the Gagan Pod. Let's wrap it up. We've got a couple of audience questions, one each for you guys. First one is for Bridgie, and it was, um, you know, the A-League is always ahead of the pack in when it comes to VAR because uh, there's been a few occasions where we've mic'd up the referees. Recently, the A-League's put up a video where you could hear the VAR conversation between the referee and whoever was upstairs. So Elijah's asked you, if VAR would be more accepted around the world if we could hear the referees, let's say in the Premier League. Yeah. What do you think about that one, Bridge? I, th- I think it's a no-brainer. I I thought it was fantastic. You could actually hear what was going on between the guys in the VAR, so you've got more of an understanding of what they're seeing because football's all about opinions. I still see VR decisions when I think, hang on, why have, how have they come up with that conclusion? Yeah. And what I really like is um, you know, that when you're watching the Super Bowl or the NFL, it is, uh, yeah. you actually hear, what they, and they come out and tell you why. And yeah. I, I've seen some footage of what they've done in the A-League. I, I believe it's it's a no-brainer. I think we are trialling it and testing it for the Premier League like we did for the VR in the first place. Um, I think there's about seven or eight countries guinea-pigging it again. And I think it's a way to go. Fans need to know. And, and I'll tell you what, the players and the managers want to hear it as well, just so yeah, they've sure. got a better understanding. You, you only like it on the NFL because you just don't know the rules. So you want someone to tell you why they they've made a do decision. Not, That's do the not only have reason. a go at my knowledge of that game. And I shock you, mate, I am... Um, Ask me about baseball, I wouldn't have a clue. You ask me about American football or basketball or ice hockey, mm. I will put you in a pipe and smoke you, mate. That was my childhood. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not proclaiming that I know anything about the NFL. I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm just well, saying don't go after people's reason... integrity when you know nothing about yourself because I know yeah, everything about said, that sport. You just said you, you like it because you get told why they make a decision. Do you know who Dan Marino so was? You don't understand the rules. Do you know Dan Marino? Do you know Joe Montana? Yeah, I do. Oh, oh there you go. You're Not safe. personally. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But right. I know who you're talking all right. about. All right, before this gets ridiculous. Uh, I've met end. him, though. I, I've met him a couple of times, that man there. Yeah, your mate, your mate Pele. Uh, Bridgie, <laughs> thanks for that answer. Last one, Schwartzy. We go to you. Good question from Isaac Seaton. Isaac, fan of the podcast, says, uh, who do you think will be the next Aussie to start a Premier League match? Poor. I've got no idea at this stage in the moment of time. I'll tell you who um, it would have been before his injury, Harry Suter. Yeah, probably, yeah. Probably would have been. Uh, uh, this moment in time? Yeah, probably still Harry Suter, who's probably the closest to it, even though he's probably however many months still away from being being fit. Riley McGree? Okay. If Middlesbrough get promoted... 
Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, listen, you never know as well if once once Fulham get promoted, there's there's um, Tyrese Francois who's playing there. Um, whether he's still at Fulham in the, in the off season, uh, come the start of the season because his contract is up, um, is another is an, another thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I can't really answer that one because we just don't have at the moment anyone really on the fringes or on 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 would, the verge of. of would anybody of take a punt on um, the goalkeeper that's in Japan, Langerak? Um, I don't think you don't think I, he listen, would go. No, I don't. I don't think so anymore. No, I think he just seems. I, I think with Mitch, which is interesting, is that M- I think Mitch has found his place. You know, he's yeah. found his team. He's found his place. He's played incredibly well. He's been brilliant when he's been playing there since he's arrived. He's had a bit of a stop-start career in in Europe. Listen, I thought after Dortmund, the reputation he'd for, you know he'd forged in in Germany. That would be his, his springboard. It worked really well at, at Falfpe Stuttgart when he was on uh, that first season in in, league, in the Bundesliga too. But then they got promoted and they replaced him straight away. So, yeah, listen, I think where he is and the stage of his career he's at, I think he's probably at the right place right now. Mm. Well, a, a bit of doom and gloom to end our podcast. Well, you can't even think of a name that's going to play in the Premier League in the near future. No, look, it's a great question, Isaac. Thanks for that one. And we all, we all want to see Aussies in the Premier League, of course, because it is the biggest league in the world and it's here on Optus Sport. Mm. Guys, just head over to the app. You can get everything you need in the world of football. We've got a busy week coming up with Champions League, then Europa League, then we've got midweek Premier League as well. There's a domestic cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool and all that is happening before our next episode. So I'm sure we're going to have plenty to chat about. And please, wherever you get your podcast, whether it is Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to us, jump on there and give us a rating. We'd appreciate it. Uh, don't, you know, forget Tommy Sorensen. Tommy Sorensen dropped out during this one, guys. He dropped out during this, uh, at the start of the oh, episode. Was he even I, here? I didn't, uh, I didn't he, even realise he, he dropped out. He gave half a, an answer and then he dropped out. But uh, Tommy would have had was, some great stories, man, because he was a real wild child off the park. <laughs> Tommy was a disgrace. I, I, I heard he had to go uh, cycling. <laughs> Who's who's uh, you? You're still a bit more wild than Tommy Sorensen, Schwartzy, right? Who me? Yeah. Um, maybe was, I was. When yeah. I, I don't know. Because Tommy seems was, Tommy yeah. seems straighty one eighty, which is great. Yeah. Bless him. But uh, Tommy seems yeah. like he wouldn't have got up to much. Tommy could mischief. Tommy could down a pint pretty quickly and then chew the glass afterwards. He was an animal. <laughs> All I can say is thank goodness when I first came over to Europe, there was no internet and no all, yeah. obviously all that. And the internet only started literally. What was it? 1996 95 yeah. 96 i think yeah. it was like the first time it kind of just started yeah thankfully yeah otherwise you guys would have been in some big trouble guys uh as i said yeah jump on wherever you get your podcast give us a rating make sure to subscribe follow up to sport for all the latest and you'll see us same time same place next week see you then